Morning. Did you catch that? Good morning. We, uh, we are right dead center of our brand new series called Beautiful Savior. And we've learned already that Jesus Christ, uh, we teach, is both God and man. 100% God, 100% man. What a lot of people don't know is that this is the ancient faith. This is, this is something that the church has taught regardless of denomination, has taught this for literally hundreds, actually going on 2,000 years. We believe that Jesus is God and man. But today what I want to do is I want to talk about Jesus the Lamb. One day Jesus is in the temple and he's debating with the religious leaders. And the religious leaders, they don't like Jesus because Jesus keeps calling them hypocrites. And nobody likes to be called a hypocrite, right? Can I ask that again? Does anybody like to be called a hypocrite? In case you don't know what a hypocrite is, it comes from the Greek. It actually means actor. So Jesus is saying, you guys, you call yourself religious, you love God, whatever, but you're a bunch of actors. You're just pretending. It's not real. And so Jesus is talking uh, to these uh, Pharisees, Sadducees, religious leaders, and he stumped them, and they just walk away from him, recognizing that they're talking to somebody that is far smarter than they are. So Jesus starts talking to his disciples, and he said, look, you guys got to watch out. You got to watch out for these guys. These guys are crooked. They do everything for show. When they give money, what they would have is they'd have people actually blowing trumpets. So when they were actually making their deposit, it's like, look at me, everybody. I'm giving my money in the offering plate. It reminded me, uh, when, when you were my grandmother, this is when we were in our old building, uh, she, uh, she never really took to Christianity much, but I got her to come to church once. And uh, she was a bit of a character, and so she opened up her wallet during offering time. She pulled up the $5 bill and went like this, <laughs> and put it in the offering plate. Uh, uh, I, I, was, I thought it was too funny to get mad at. So anyway, I let that go. But that's really what the Pharisees were doing. Look at me. Look what I'm doing. I'm giving tons of money. Jesus says these Pharisees, they love to walk through the streets with their flowing robes. They like everybody to look at them. Everybody stops. Oh, it's the Pharisees. Look at them. They're brilliant. So godly, so spiritual. They keep the word of God. They keep all the laws of God perfectly. But Jesus says they're a bunch of hypocrites. Don't trust them. They pray in public. When they stand, they would stand in public and pray, Oh God, I'm so thankful that I am so perfect and all these other people are so wicked around me, but I somehow am perfect. Jesus says they're a bunch of actors. In fact, Jesus says this about them. He says, These Pharisees, they, uh, they cheat, shamelessly cheat widows out of all their money. And then we come to Luke chapter 21, and then Jesus says, you see that widow there? See, everybody's been putting in big chunks of money. Rich people, sacks of money. And this poor widow comes and she puts in what we call the widow's mite. It's actually, it's 132nd of a denarius. Just a tiny, tiny little coin. When I was in Israel a number of years ago, I actually bought one and gave it to my mom as a gift. Uh, it would cost a lot of money, but I tell you, in the day when it was being used, it was worth almost nothing. But this widow, literally, that's all that she had, and she put that in the offering plate. Now, interestingly, a lot of preachers will use that, that picture of the widow putting in all that she has as sort of you know, encouragement to be a great giver like the widow, but that's not what Jesus was doing here. What he was trying to show is how corrupt religion had become. 
Maybe some of you sitting here today, you know, you maybe have a bad feeling about religion because you've seen it as something corrupt. You've seen the TV evangelists and they give us all your money and God will bless you. Uh, have you seen that evangelist on TV that talks about the divine transfer? And all these people come forward giving their testimonials. God transferred $100,000 into my account and I got $30,000, I got $20,000, I got a new car and I got a new house. Hallelujah. Jesus says, it's all corrupt. Now, it came as a shock. It came as a shock to people because literally that's all the Jewish people knew is they only knew worship at the temple. And Jesus is saying the whole thing's corrupt. And all the leaders are corrupt. Then the disciples, kind of not knowing what to say, because it's kind of, kind of an awkward moment. Oh, Jesus, you, look, at, look at that. Look at the temple here. Look how beautiful it is. It's gorgeous, isn't it? Jesus, see, see how well it's dressed, how beautiful it is, how grand it is. In case you don't know what the temple looks like, that's kind of, kind of the image of it. Um, this is the, maybe we could put that up. Yeah, thank you. This is what we call Solomon's temple. It's not, it's not in, it's not, it doesn't exist today, but that would have been what it would look like in its day. Gilt with gold, it was absolutely a stunning, stunning building. And the disciples just thought, man, our God must be great if this is where he's worshipped. And Jesus says this. He says something very, very shocking. He says, the time is coming. Luke 21, verse 6. The time is coming when all these things will be completely demolished. Not one stone will be left on top of another. And he said, teacher, when will all this happen? What will be the sign that will show us that these things are about to take place? And Jesus says, and when you see Jerusalem surrounded by armies then you will know that the time of its destruction has arrived. And there's the temple right there. Uh, it's right it's situated up high, overlooking the, the city of Jerusalem. And Jesus said, this is all going to be destroyed. And in fact, it was. This is a, a, a painting, very valuable painting, of this sacking of Jerusalem. And this took place in the year 70 AD. It literally happened 37 years after Jesus made that prophecy. He said, it's all going to be destroyed. And it was. Rome was, was the occupier, and they found the Jewish people just so difficult to deal with, so, so rebellious. And finally, they said they couldn't take it anymore, and they moved in there, and they destroyed Jerusalem. They destroyed the temple. A lot of people don't understand this. And by the way, let me just show you this. This is still some of the ruins of that temple. Let me move along here. And uh, we discover that Jesus uh, is announced by John. And, and here's what it said. The next day, John saw Jesus coming toward him and said, Look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. This, this declaration or this title for Jesus is a turning point in history. It's one of the greatest declarations ever made. At least it is for the, for the people in Jerusalem and for the people of God called the Jews. But before I, I tackle this, let me just point out something to you. This is not the first time that the temple had been destroyed. It happened in, in AD 70, but it happened before that. It happened um, by, by the Babylonians. The Babylonians invaded Israel and destroyed the temple built by Solomon in the 7th century. And then in 20 BC, Herod actually rebuilt the temple. And that's what, this is, that was what we just saw a few moments ago. Beautiful, beautiful building. The, the, the nicest temple ever. 
but it was destroyed. So two temples destroyed. Today I want to tell you why there's no temple in Jerusalem. I want to tell you why for 2,000 years Israel has not had a temple. And it's because of this title that Jesus has, the Lamb of God. In order for us to understand this title, I've got to give you a quick history lesson. It's going to be very, very quick, very brief. Some of you, if you've read your Bible, you'll know that Adam and Eve were created by God, and they were in the garden. They enjoyed sweet fellowship with God. God walked with them, talked with them face to face. It was, it was close communion, close fellowship. But God gave them instructions. He said to Adam and Eve, look it, you can eat anything in the garden except from one tree, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. If and when you eat that fruit, you will surely die. Now, they didn't really fully understand what that meant. They never experienced the sensation. They never, never experienced anybody dying. But God said, if you eat the fruit, death will come. And that's exactly what happened. You know the story. They ate the fruit, and they died spiritually, and then eventually died physically. And by dying spiritually, what we mean is that they were separated from God. They were evicted from the Garden of Eden. They were evicted from the presence of Almighty God. So there they are, out of fellowship with God, with a yearning for God. Do you know, this is what I've discovered over the years of being, a, all these years of being a pastor, is everybody in one way or another is yearning for God. They've got a hole in their heart. They're trying to fill that hole. They feel empty. They feel dissatisfied. You know, you, you've, all of us have experienced that in some way or another. But we try to fill that hole in our hearts. And we, we try to fill it in many different ways. We, you know, we, we've got our hobbies. We've got sports. We've got watch TV. We do drugs, alcohol, whatever. We try to fill the hole in our heart. That's a hole that only God can fill. So human beings wanted to get back to God. They just didn't know how. And they knew they couldn't because sinful human beings can't be in fellowship with the holy God. Just plain and simple as that. But here's the wonderful thing. God wanted relationship with us. Humans wanted fellowship with God, but God wanted fellowship with us. So what are we going to do? Because evil human beings, evil creatures, evil, cannot dwell in the presence of a holy God. And what I'm going to share with you today really is Christianity in a nutshell. If you've always wondered, what really is Christianity about? We see all this, you know, the smells, the bells, the this, that, and... Whatever. What is it all about? I'm going to tell you what it's all about. It's all about a God, a personal, relational God that wants relationship with us human beings. God loves us so much that he figured out a way to be reacquainted or reconciled with us. And so what happens is that God establishes a people of his own. We call these people the Jewish people or the children of Abraham. Some of you know that. The children of Abraham eventually end up in slavery in Egypt. And whereas the beginning of their, their stay in Egypt, it was good. It became very bad after about 400 years. They, they were enslaved by the Egyptians. They had to do hard labor. And they cried out to God and said, God, you're our God. Please deliver us can't take it anymore. And so God hears their prayer and he raises up a man by the name of Moses. And Moses delivers them from slavery in Egypt. 
and takes them to a place where they can be reconciled or reacquainted with him, where they can worship him. In fact, that's exactly what God tells Moses to tell Pharaoh. Pharaoh, let my people go so they can worship me. Pharaoh, as you know, keeps saying no, but eventually after all these plagues and the death of the firstborn in Egypt, Pharaoh finally says, okay, you guys go, get out of here. As they're leaving, God tells, uh, actually just before they left, God tells the Israelites, you need to take a lamb and you need to, to, to kill it. And you need to take the blood from that lamb and put it on the, the lintel, the, the, uh, the beam that supports the door and the doorposts. And when the death angel comes, he'll go past your house. He won't touch you. But for those who don't have the blood, the blood of the lamb, you're going to die. And that's exactly what happened. And that is why Pharaoh let the Israelites go. While they're in the wilderness, and you maybe remember this, God says to Moses, I want you to come up to the mountain because I'm going to give some commandments, instructions. I'm going to give instructions to all the people so that they know exactly how they can have fellowship with me so that they can know exactly what I want. And that's when the Ten Commandments came. But it wasn't just the Ten Commandments that came to us. God gave instructions on how to build what we call the tabernacle, the place where God would dwell. And that's what that column of of fire is. It represents the presence of God. But you'll notice in front of this tabernacle or this tent, you'll see that there is a priest. He's offering up sacrifices. God explained to Moses what he wanted his people to do in order to come back into fellowship, into relationship with him. Here's what God says to Moses. Somehow, some way, we have to atone for the sins of the people because unholy, that is sinful people, cannot come into the presence of God. And so God makes a provision. He says what needs to happen is we need to have some priests. And he explains exactly who the priests are going to be. They're the Levites. That's one of the 12 tribes of Israel. And the Levites' job was to offer up these sacrifices and they would take a lamb or take a bull and slaughter that and they'd burn it before the Lord and they would make what we call make atonement or pay the price for people's sin. Now I want you to stop and think for a moment. Every one of us here today, the Bible declares, is a sinner. Every one of us falls short of God's best. Every one of us here today, if we were honest, we'd have to say, yes, we do sin. We do, we do mess up and some of us, maybe... This past week was a major screw-up. It, it was terrible. In fact, you just feel guilt. You feel shame. You feel terrible. You don't want anybody to know about it. You'd be humiliated. You'd be horrified. If anybody should find out some of the things that you were saying or doing this past week. The fact is, folks, every single person here today, the Bible declares, is a sinner. Every one of us falls short, except for me. You're not having that, are you? Like I said this morning, you just ask my wife. She'll set you straight in a hurry. Or ask my kids. Every one of us. So here we are with this sin. God loves us. And he's saying, how can I get back into a right 
a right relationship with my creation, these people that I love so much. What can I do? So he comes up with a system where a lamb or a bull or some animal is, is put to death for our sin. Now, I know some of you are sitting here today thinking, whoa, I had no idea that that's what Christianity was about. We live in a day and age when, you know, we've all become quite sophisticated and we like to think of ourselves as being more sophisticated than, than something as gruesome as this. But here's what most of us don't understand. We don't understand how heinous sin is. We compare ourselves to other people. We think, well, compared to everybody else, I'm actually a pretty good person, right? I mean, if I look around here today, I think it to myself, you know what? If I'm graded on the curve compared to everybody else, I probably got a better, better chance of getting into heaven than a lot of the people here today. And maybe you're thinking that too. I know a lot of people are a lot worse than me. Are you thinking that? A lot of people do. The question is, is how good do you have to be to be accepted into God's presence? How good do you have to be to get to heaven? And the Bible says clearly there's, there's none righteous. There's none that are good. Not even one. There's some who, who seem good, but at the end of the day, if you could start looking into people's hearts, into people's minds, you see what the truth is. That's why I never say he's a good man. She's a good, she's a good woman. I haven't got that ability to see into your head. I, don't, I haven't got the ability to see into your heart, but God does. I can say I like you. And I can say that person is kind to me. I can say that person is good to me. But I can't declare you good. Only God can do that. Because I can't see into your heart. But God can. Knowing this, folks, God provides for us a way of coming into his presence. And throughout the Old Testament, for actually for thousands of years, actually, it goes right back to Genesis chapter 3. And you can check that out yourself. The very first sacrifice was made. And, the, and from that sacrifice, God took the skin of that animal and covered Adam and Eve's nakedness. So for thousands of years, the death of an animal atoned or paid the price for people's sin. But it's gruesome. It's bloody. It's not, it's not the best. So let's go back to that verse. John sees Jesus and says, look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. This is the dawning of a new age, a brand new era. For thousands of years, lambs and bulls atoned or paid the price for sin. And now, John is looking at Jesus and saying, Jesus is now the Lamb of God. And that's why, folks, at Christmas or at Easter, we celebrate the death of Jesus. Because Jesus is the Lamb of God. Now, here, here's the thing. I know some of you are sitting here today saying, wow, this is crazy. What is this all about? I'm going to tell you something today. Jesus said this. He said, unless the Holy Spirit opens your eyes to understand this, unless the Holy Spirit opens your mind to receive this truth, you can't receive it. You're going to just look on and think, wow, weird. But for those of us who know how sinful we are, 
For those of us who are thinking, man, how can I be free? How can I be washed clean? How can all the things I've ever done be washed away as though I'd never sinned? How can my sins be, be taken away? Those of us who want to be made clean, look to Jesus, the Lamb of God, who takes away our sin. I can tell you, folks, the day when I became a Christian, the day when I asked Jesus to forgive me of my sin, the day when I asked Jesus to come into my life, I tell you, I felt like the weight of the world lifted from my shoulder. All the bad things I'd ever done washed away. And I felt like I could fly. Some of you have had that experience. If you've had that experience this morning, just say amen. Amen. You know what I'm talking about. When the Lamb of God washes away your sin. That, my friends, is what Christianity is all about. It's all about a Savior, the Lamb of God, who takes away our sin. And the writer of Hebrews confirms it. He says, for God's will was for us to be made holy. Do you know what the word holy means? It means to be made perfect, to be set apart for God's purposes. God's will is for everybody that loves him to be used for his purposes. And how does that happen? Well, by the sacrifice of the body of Jesus Christ. That's what hanging on the cross was all about. Jesus paid the price for your sin and for mine. Jesus said, I love Josh so much. I don't want him to die forever. I'm going to take his place. And he spread his arms and he was nailed to the cross for Josh. But not just for Josh, for Hannah, for Alan, for Matt, for Gloria, for my brother, especially for my brother. That's why Jesus went to the cross. Because God said, I love you too much, Josh. I don't want you to die. I want you to be with me forever, Josh. So I'm going to send my own son who's going to be the the final lamb, the once and for all time lamb. You see, but Pastor, what if I still sin? I become a Christian. I ask Jesus to forgive me of my sin. I feel like the sin has been lifted from my shoulders. But what if I still sin? Well, folks, look at it. It's once for all time. And the fact is, I fail. I fail. I, I, I'm not the, the, the great Christian that I'd like to be. I feel like I could be so much better. So every Sunday when I come to church and worship, man, I enjoyed the worship so much this morning. When I worship, I'm worshiping the Lamb of God who takes away Alan Duncalf's sin. And when you come to church on Sunday, that's what you're worshiping God for. Because he's washed away your sin as though you'd never sinned. And this is why we call it the gospel of the good news. Well, now you know why there hasn't been a temple in Jerusalem for 2,000 years. The Lamb of God was the final sacrifice. There's no need for another temple. Did you get that? There's no more need for another temple. Because Jesus Christ, the Lamb of God, was the final once and for all sacrifice. Wow. Wow. Now, in case you think, oh, well, you know, this is convenient. Jesus got the religious leaders all mad at him. And, uh, and you know, they killed him because he got them mad. This was like plan B. And the disciples figured out a story to, to 
cover it up and to figure out how to go forward from here. I'm going to tell you something. Jesus dying on the cross was not plan B. That was plan A. That was God's purpose, his will from day one. This is why 700 years before Jesus dies on the cross, Isaiah gives the special prophecy, and I would encourage everybody to read Isaiah 53. And if you're going to small group tonight, you're going to read it there. But here's what Isaiah says about Jesus. He says, but he was pierced for our rebellion. Look at this, 700 years before Jesus dies. He was pierced for our rebellion. And you know when Jesus died on the cross, the the soldier stuck a spear, pierced him through his side. Remember that? He was pierced for our rebellion. He was crushed for our sins. He was beaten so we could be whole. He was whipped so we could be healed. He was led like a lamb to the slaughter. Jesus did that for you and me. And this was God's plan from day one. 700 years before it happened, Isaiah prophesied this is going to happen. Jesus is going to come. And when Jesus came to this earth, he knew that he was fulfilling this prophecy. He was going to die for us. He's going to wash away our sin. And so everybody here today, folks, as you know, is a sinner. The Bible says everyone has sinned. We all fall short of God's glorious standard. Would you tell the person beside this morning, you're a sinner. <laughs> what did they say? Did they like that? Probably not. But look at this, folks. It's precisely because we are sinners that we need a Savior. We need Jesus, the Lamb of God. So what do we do now? We know we're sinners And we know Jesus died on the cross for our sins. What's the next step? What do I I have to do? How can I I have that happen in my life where my sins are washed away? Because it doesn't happen automatically. There's got to be something that we do. It's it's what we call a relational transaction. God does his part, but we have to do our part. What do we have to do? I'm glad you asked that question. Here's what we got to do. The Bible says if you openly declare that Jesus is Lord and you believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. It's as simple as that. You see, but Pastor Ron, don't I have to do good works? Don't I have to do something to earn this? And the answer is this, no. There's nothing that you can do that's going to make you good enough. Some people have this idea, you know, when I get to heaven, God's going to take my bad deeds and my good deeds, he's going to weigh them out, and hopefully the good deeds are greater than the bad deeds, right? Has anybody ever seen uh, uh, Price is Right? You, you, the car game, right? So you've got to get the right number of bags of money, but not too much and not too little. That's not what happens, folks. You think I get to heaven, God's going to just say, hmm, Josh, let's see here. Good, bad, it's, oh, that doesn't happen. You'd be happy to know. I'm happy to know that. What God does is he looks at your heart to see if your heart's been washed by the Lamb, the Lamb of God. And how do we know that the Lamb of God will wash our hearts? By putting our faith in Jesus. By asking him to come into our lives, to forgive us for our sins, and declare that Jesus is in fact the Lord. He is God, he's king. That he died on the cross for my sin. Man, that was exciting that day. I gave my heart to Jesus, Matt. I said, Jesus, forgive me my sin. And and I'm sorry. I'm sorry for my sin. And God said, I forgive you, Alan. And he washed my heart clean. And that's what God wants to do for you today. 
If you haven't accepted Jesus into your life, if you haven't asked Jesus to wash you clean, I want you to know that Jesus wants to do that for you today. If you are maybe not where you need to be spiritually, your life is out of order, you have drifted away from God, here's the good news. Even though Satan's whispering in your ear and saying, you're a loser, you're a failure, you'll never be a Christian, you can never be a Christian, you're not good enough. Here's what you're going to say to the devil. You're going to say two things to him. First of all, you're going to say, you're right, devil, I am never going to be good enough. But I know somebody who is good enough. His name is Jesus. And I put my faith in Jesus, not in myself. Amen? Amen. And the other thing you're going to say to Satan is, go to... Yes. That's about as close to hell as you're going to get at this time of the year. Hey, do you know what? I know something, folks. Listen to this. Listen to this. Solomon's temple destroyed. Herod's temple destroyed. And the Bible tells us there's another temple that's going to be built. In the last days, the disciples wanted to know, hey, Jesus, when do we know the end is near? And Jesus gave a number of signs to be aware of. He talked about Daniel's vision of the, what we call the abomination of desolation, the image of the Antichrist being set up in a third temple that's going to be built. Folks, listen to me. We've, if you start hearing about the, the building of a temple and your life is not right with God, I'm telling you, get on your knees immediately because the end is here. Make sure your life is right with God. Because here's the thing. If you don't put your faith in Jesus Christ, if you don't get Jesus Christ to wash away your sin, the Bible is very clear. In fact, here's what Jesus says. Nothing evil will be allowed to enter heaven. Did you get that? He said, Pastor, I'm not an evil person. Hitler's evil, but I'm not evil. I'm going to tell you, anybody who doesn't put their faith in Jesus, God declares evil. Well, I can't accept that. No, you can't accept it. But the Holy Spirit working in you is going to help you understand this. Nothing evil will be allowed to enter heaven, nor anyone who practices shameful idolatry. That's a worship of other gods or worshiping or loving anything more than God. Some people make money their idol. Dishonesty. This is not going to be allowed into heaven. But look at this. But those... Only those whose names are written in the Lamb's book of life. The way that you get your name in the Lamb's book of life so that you're guaranteed of going to heaven is by putting your faith in Jesus, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. You know what? I do funerals all the time. I'm involved in that all the time because I'm a pastor. And I hear crazy ideas that people have. Oh, my, he's you know, on a cloud strumming on a harp right now. It's like, it's like oh, where are they getting these wacky ideas from? I'll tell you. They're not getting them from Scripture. The Bible is clear. If you want to be included, accepted into the presence of Almighty God, then your name has to be in the Lamb's Book of Life. And I told you already how you need to do that. You need to put your faith in Jesus, the perfect Lamb. And you have to say, Jesus, thank you for dying for my sin. Thank you for loving me so much that I didn't have to die. And Jesus would gladly have you in that book. Now, that's not the end of the story, folks. Here's something really cool. And I love this. 
before I, before I share with you, can I just say this? If you are not sure that your name is in the Lamb's book of life, then you need to come and talk to me today or email me or phone me or text me or message me or send me a letter or send somebody to talk to me, but you have got to talk to me because I want to help you make sure that you are in the Lamb's book of life. Here's a cool thing, folks. If God forbid that God should take me out of heaven or that I should die right now, I know I'm going to heaven. I know I'm going to be with God because I'm, I've done exactly what God's told me to do. Well, here's what's going to happen when we get to heaven, folks. The angel said to me, write this. Blessed are those who are invited to the wedding feast of the Lamb. And he added, these are the true words that come from God. Do you know that someday there's going to be a great big reunion in heaven? Now, in case you're wondering what this is all about, wedding feast, what's that about? Wedding feast of the lamb? What's that? The one lamb's getting married to another lamb? What does that mean? Well, let me tell you what it means quickly. Sometimes the Bible uses metaphors to help us understand our relationship to God. The Bible describes the church as the bride of Christ. I don't know if you knew that. But everybody who is a believer, everybody who's put their faith in Jesus now is part of the church. You are part of the church the minute you put your faith in Christ. And when you put your faith in Christ, you become now the bride of Jesus or the bride of the Lamb. And someday there's going to be a massive feast of celebration. That is, if your name is in the book. That is, if your heart has been made right with God. Now, we're coming up to Christmas, and it's just literally in just a few weeks. I found this amazing picture. Do you like that? That's the baby Jesus. And the painter, he's, he's trying to show us that the baby Jesus was actually going to grow up to be the Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world. The baby Jesus has no clue. In his innocence, he's stroking the gentle Lamb not really realizing at this point anyway that he's going to grow up and he's going to be the sacrifice lamb for all people who put their faith in Jesus. Folks, this is what Christmas is all about. It's not about Santa Claus, sorry. You thought it was about Santa, didn't you? Some of you already have your stockings up. It's about Jesus. It's about Jesus coming to this earth as a sacrifice lamb to take away our sin. And you know, this, this message is the most important message on the planet. In fact, the declaration that Jesus is the lamb of God is the most important declaration ever made in human history. We feel it's so important that we want to invite our community into our church to come and get to know a little bit about us we, we've literally sent out hundreds of invitations. It's on Facebook and it's on our sign. Did you notice it's on our sign? Now, for those of you who go to this church, you think, oh, yay, a free supper. No, it's not for you. <laughs> it's for our neighbors. It's for our community. We want them to come in here. They want, we want them to get to know us. We're hoping that somehow, some way, we'll have a chance, an opportunity to share with them the love of God, a love so great that he sent the lamb, his son, to take away our sin. 
And if you have ever experienced your sins washed away, you know what I'm talking about today. There's nothing greater in all the world. Is there, Hannah? Nothing greater in all the world. My sins are washed away. Thank you, Jesus. And there's a whole world out there that wants to hear about this. And that's why we're doing that this Christmas. We're inviting our whole neighborhood. We have no idea how many people are going to come. We're thinking probably hundreds and hundreds, and we hope. We shared this with our small group last week, and a couple from our small group, I'm not going to say who it is, they're so excited about it that they came by yesterday for coffee. They said, we're just going to stop in for a quick coffee. We'll be in and we'll be out. We, just, we won't stay. Just... In fact, he, they weren't even going to stay, but his wife said, we have to stay for coffee. So they came in for coffee, and they stayed for two hours. <laughs> we didn't mind. And as we're leaving, they gave us, gave us a check for $1,000 so that we could, we could feed the neighborhood. So we could tell them the good news about the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Would you stand with me, please? Father, thank you. Thank you for Jesus. Thank you for taking away our sin, Lord Jesus. Everybody who puts their faith in the Lamb of God will have their sins removed. God, if there's anybody here today who has not yet taken that step, who has not yet made sure that their sins have been washed away by the blood of the Lamb, God, we pray that this would be the day of total transformation. God, thank you for loving us so much for not wanting us to die. You gave us a way of escape. Thank you, God, that I can say today, I know that when I die, I'm going to heaven. I know it for sure. It's a fact because I believe your word. Father, there's some here today who are far from you. We pray God today would be the day when they would get back into a right relationship with you. And so we thank you, Father, for the privilege that's ours to be called your children and for the privilege that's ours to share this good news with the world. And we pray that in Jesus' name. And everyone said it with me. Tell the person beside you, go worship the Lamb.